well, what we're going to do, because we had a problem with the uh, the uh, class, is we'll, and apparently it might be fixed now. If it is, then we'll just start with 4-2. We're in Colossians 4-2. Two. Two. There we go. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Okay, so here we go. 4-2. We're in Colossians 4-2. Uh, he says it's fixed. Right. Paul lays heavy stress on the need for prayer in his epistles. Just so the people online know, if you uh, are listening to this Bible study, we had a problem with the uh, audio. And so what I'm going to do when I get home is I'm going to cut off the first part of the Bible class. And it's not going to be all the prayers and everything that we said. We're, I'm just going to cut all that off and we're just going to start with um, uh, the verses today. And so uh, sorry about that. Nothing we can do about it. But the uh, the uh, system was set on the wrong settings. So, um, in Colossians 4, 2 is where we're at, and I'm going to read you the verse from the New King James Version, and we'll just go on. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving, meanwhile praying also for us that God would... Uh, oh, I went too far. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Okay, so we're in Colossians 4, 2. This is the commentary on that. Paul lays heavy stress on the need for prayer in his epistles. You see that all the way through his epistles. epistles. Mm -hmm. In 1 Thessalonians 5, he tells his readers to pray without ceasing. The same thought is expanded upon here. He tells those in Colossae, and thus to us, to continue in prayer. As in praying without ceasing. Same general idea as what he says to the Thessalonians. But... He tells them to do so in an earnest and steadfast manner. There should be vibrancy in their prayer life as if it is a natural extension of their very being. The idea of continuing earnestly in prayer does not mean that we get on our knees and stay there all day without accomplishing anything else. There are many types of prayers and the admonition fits any of them at any given time. There are formal prayers, and their informal prayers. There are silent prayers of the heart given in our times of distress or deep need. And there are vocal prayers which are given to build up others for courage, comfort, or edification. There are secret prayers given between oneself and God which reveal the innermost soul of the one praying. There are public prayers offered for gatherings of God's people as they meet to worship or petition Him. There are prepared prayers, which are meticulously worded in order to inspire deep conviction, reverence, or courage. And there are sudden prayers, which leap out of our souls as we come upon a moment of need. These are just some of the prayers that I thought of while typing this up. There are all kinds of prayers out there. None of them are any more important than any other, and each has its own place and its own purpose. And uh, we've probably heard most of those or experienced most of those in our own life. Paul's admonition to continue earnestly in prayer is one which should be taken literally. There's never a time that we can simply talk to God and it not be considered a prayer. He next expands upon his words by saying, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. In life, we often get sidetracked by things that come our way, and our minds tend to wander from our connection with the Lord. Paul tells us that we are to be vigilant or watchful ensuring that we don't let go of our prayer life. And in our prayers, we are to add in thanksgiving. I would say that thanksgiving is about as important as any part of the prayers that we utter, because we're always asking God for things. We're always asking him for this or that or one thing or another. And then when we get them, we often don't stop and thank the Lord. And I always love, we have an online prayer uh, 
service and people will email in and they'll ask for prayers. And once in a while, somebody will come back and say, I want to give a praise. The Lord responded to these prayers. The person is healed or the job has been obtained or whatever. And that's really important that we follow up with things like that because it's so very easy to ask God for stuff and then to just take it for granted that, okay, I got it and I can go on with my life. Mm. Um, last night at about one o'clock, I think it was, it started to rain. And as soon as it did, the first thing I said was, thank you, Lord. I love the rain. I love every time it comes. And I try to always be appreciative of the rain when it comes. He knows I love it. He knows that personally, it saves me a lot of work. I don't have to go out and water a bunch of stuff at the mall that I have to do by hand if it rains. But that's not why I like the rain. It's just one of the things that's like a, a benefit for it. And so I always try to thank him for the rain. The lawn is happier. The trees are happier. Everything is just... Up. It's what? The pennies come up. The pennies come up from the ground. If you uh, walk along the road and you see a lot of pennies, it probably rained recently. So um, I'm always very, very thankful for the prayers. And we need to not let that go. Um, and what does it say? We come into his courts with thanksgiving and uh, enter his gates with praise. I might have that backwards. Anyway, we're supposed to praise the Lord. We're supposed to thank the Lord. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the symbolism of going into the tabernacle and bringing praise and thanksgiving right at the beginning of entering the tabernacle is there for a reason. That's what we should be doing. Praising God, acknowledging his goodness, acknowledging his uh, supremacy over all things before we ask for anything. Mm -hmm. And then when we get it, we want to follow up with the praise and thanksgiving again. Anyway, uh, in life, we often get sidetracked by things that come our way and our minds tend to wander from our connection with the Lord. Paul tells us that we are to be vigilant or watchful, ensuring that we don't let go of our prayer life. And in our prayers, we are to add in thanksgiving. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, he admonishes in everything, give thanks. It is the same thought here. If we're praying continuously, and if we are giving thanks in all of our prayers, then we are giving thanks continuously. This attitude should be a consistent part of who we are at all times. Life application. How easy it is to not be thankful. We simply forget about the many kindnesses which come to us. But if we can remember to be in prayer always and that thanksgiving should be a part of those prayers, then we will not fall into this state of ingratitude. The thought of ingratitude to me is one of the highest offenses. Somebody does something for you and you don't thank them for it. You don't write them a note thanking them or send them an email. It just shows an ingratitude, uh, uh, an attitude of ingratitude, which should not exist. When the Lord does something for you, when he gives you a new job, when you're child is safely home from, you know, being out all night on a date with friends or something, you want to be thankful. You want to be grateful for those type of things. And to be ungrateful is just a, to me, it's just a mark of somebody that is not, uh, has not got his priorities right. Uh, it takes mental effort, but it can be done. Don't let the world of whining and griping get you down. Instead, let the spiritual connection that you have with God be nurtured to a state of constant vibrancy. And I'll go so far as to say that that doesn't matter if you're struggling with your um, relationship with the Lord, if you're struggling with your relationship with your spouse, if you're struggling with somebody at work, if you're struggling, it doesn't matter what the trials are, you can still be thankful to the Lord that you have a job, that you have a wife, 
that you are saved by the Lord. All of these things are things that we can be grateful for, even if we're struggling in them at the moment, for whatever reason, we can still be appreciative to God of those things. All right. Um, I, uh, for the past, let's see, I put in probably about 1993 when we came back from overseas, I put in an outdoor shower. And that's my favorite thing on the property probably is to go out and take a lot of showers during the summer. I might take three or four a day, five a day, because it's hot, you're working hard. And uh, it just, it's so nice to go out and just stop and take a quick outdoor shower. And for 20 years, I would take one even on the coldest days of the year. And all I have is cold water. Okay. When I put in the shower, I did not run a hot water line because it was summer and I didn't think I'll ever need it. And uh, uh, just about a year and a half or two years ago, one of the guys here at church gave me a uh, uh, on-demand hot water heater. He works for a company where they have those. And I got to tell you what, every time I go out there and I take a hot shower now, I, I'm thankful. And I say, Lord, I'm so appreciative of this. I'm appreciative of the person that gave it to me. I'm appreciative of you that you allow me to take hot showers. It just, it's something as small and as simple as that, really, if you're just appreciative of those things, the more you are, the more it's instilled in you to be appreciative of all things. So uh, it just, you know, keep in mind the things that you like, thank the Lord, and pretty soon you're going to be thanking them even for the things that you don't like, because they're a part of who you are. They're a part of your state of existence. You're being matured by them. You're being developed by them, whatever. Be thankful. Pray. Praise, all of these things are things that are very important. So that's what I would ask you to do, even if you're struggling, even if you're having difficult times. Pray, praise, be thankful. Uh, okay, we're in 4-3 now. And pray for us, too, that God may open the door of Christ, for, oh, I'm sorry, for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Okay, completely different worded, but it says basically the same thing. Meanwhile praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains. Okay, so um, a door for the word. When we go out in the projects every single Saturday, somebody opens us in prayer. And that is always the prayer that somebody, whoever opens us in prayer, it always asks for that. Lord, please open a door for us. Please lead somebody into our path that hasn't heard the message, please help us to be responsive to the people that we meet. You know, we're always asking for that open door. And if you go to just do a word study on the word door that Paul uses, if it's used in the book of Acts or it's used in his epistles, you'll see that he calls these things doors. We had a door of opportunity. We had an open door, etc. And uh, you kind of get an idea for his thought process, his thought process in that regard. Anyway, Paul has just exhorted those at Colossae to remain vigilant in prayer with thanksgiving. He then asks them, meanwhile, praying for us. If prayer served no purpose except acting as some type of pressure relief valve, he would never ask for such a thing. People are always emailing me and asking this, or even I will ask myself at times, you know, why do we pray? What is the purpose of prayer? If God already knows what we want, then why do we have to pray? Okay, the reason why is because the Bible says to do it. Obviously, there is a purpose for prayer. God is not going to respond to an unspoken prayer. If you're not, I don't care if it's silent or if it's out loud, if it's spoken inside of you or outside of you, 
it is a prayer that is uttered. If it's not, then he has no obligation to respond to it. Why would he? Okay. Um, and Paul makes this clear all the way through his writings. Pray, pray, pray. The prayers of many, etc. He's always talking about the different types of prayers, the cumulative prayers of people. And the Bible says it, and so therefore it must be of value. So if you email me, that's basically what I'm going to tell you, exactly what I just told you. And when I question my own self about prayer, I just say the same thing. I, the word says to pray. There's obviously a purpose for it. Do it. Okay. Right. But, but here's, it's just like, like getting, like coming to Christ, like believing. Yeah. It's like he knew you were going to, or not going to yep. say, I believe. But the person who in that equation that knew, had no idea was the person who was either going to say That's yes right. or no. And That's it's right. The prayer, it's like you know, okay, Lord, you know what's going to happen. I don't, but we don't. I just pray that it, you know, it be good. Your will be done. It's great. And, Absolutely. You know, so. That's exactly right. But Paul firmly believed that prayers were something which were effective in determining outcomes, not just in you know, you know, and so I'm going to pray because I know that you know. Our prayers are effective in determining outcomes. Because if they weren't, he would not say the things he says. And this goes back to the Old Testament as well. People are praying in the Old Testament. Um, who was it? Uh, Elijah prayed over the, the child, okay, or whatever. These people prayed and outcomes were developed. When uh, Tabitha died, what did Peter do? He went into the room and he prayed over her. It determined an outcome. I would assume, and I would obviously think that it's true because it's written in the Bible that he did that, that if he did not go up there and pray for Tabitha, she would not have come back to life. Okay. So prayers are effective in determining outcomes. As he desired a certain outcome for himself and those with him, he specifically requests it now, desiring that God would open a door to us for the word. He's saying it. He's asking people to pray for it as well. It's what we pray for in the projects. And, you know, there are times where we don't have any door opened on Saturday. Okay. And there are times where we do. And the Lord has decided when he's going to send somebody in our path or when we're going to turn down this street instead of that one and meet somebody that we wouldn't have otherwise met. He knows these things, but um, he asks us to pray. Paul says, pray that God would open a door for us to the word. And so that's what he's asking them to do. Paul uses the same word door terminology in 1 Corinthians 16 verse 9 and 2 Corinthians 2 verse 12. This was Paul's great desire, but it was something that was currently denied, at least partially. Being in chains, he had a very limited opportunity to share the word, but he was in chains for doing exactly that. He was hoping that it would be again possible to communicate the word, not just in letters, but in person. Okay, I'm going through X 14 right now, and I'll take you there really quickly. I just started that a few days ago. We'll be actually publishing them in another couple days. But uh, X, where is it? Right here, X 26, 14. Okay, and uh, it, it's not dealing so much with prayer. But it shows that this is what Paul wanted to do. Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude, both of Jews and of the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord who was bearing witness to the word of his grace. 
granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Okay, that brings up a, a great point, though. Um, he says that, um, this is Luke writing, um, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Okay, but, verse 4, the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. So what does that tell you about the signs and wonders? They didn't play out to everybody. They didn't play out for everybody, obviously. And I talk about that. What is the purpose of signs and wonders? Obviously, the signs and wonders were there not for the unsaved. They were there to edify the saved. Because the unsaved didn't believe them. They came against them. Anyway, uh, and when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derby cities of Lacaonia and to the surrounding region, and they were preaching the gospel there. They get drummed out of another city, just like they got, they're got. they about to in uh, chapter 13. We're posting them right now. They're getting drummed out of um, uh, Pisidia, of Antioch of Pisidia. So they go to Iconium. They do their thing there. They get drummed out of there, and then they go off to Lystra and Derby. Okay? Paul was looking to evangelize. All right? He wasn't looking to do anything else except tell people about Jesus. That was his goal. And that once he told people about Jesus, he was wanting them to develop in Jesus. Who is it that he met in Lystra and Derby in Acts 14 that he writes about later, and he writes to later? Timothy. What does it say in Acts chapter 16? It says right here. I, I hope it'll be right easy to find. Then he came to Derby and Lystra. He's gone there. Now he's coming back there. And behold, a certain, here it is, disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was a Greek. He had to have been evangelized at that time that he went the first time to right. Lester and Derby. And so here's his disciple, and he becomes this great man of God that Paul fawns uh, over in his letters and takes him with him all over the place, and he's, he's his traveling companion. Okay, that wouldn't have happened if Paul didn't go and evangelize these people. And then he stayed and discipled them. This guy got the thing going in his head, and he decided, okay, I'm going to be a good disciple. Paul comes back, and he gets recommended to Paul because of Paul's efforts earlier. So, uh, you know, the prayers are effective. Paul is asking for these open doors. Well, he's had them here. He's had them elsewhere. And uh, anyway, here's a little squiggle for your brain for the people that do not read the uh, daily commentaries. If you don't, shame on you. But uh, here's a squiggle for your brain. What is the name Lycaonia famous for? Anybody? I, I read them. I'm, I'm not there yet. Yeah, I haven't posted okay, them, so, so you I wouldn't know. Okay. Yeah, it's coming soon, but okay. it's for the people that will never read them. No, no. Wolfman. Stop. Yeah, really? lichens. You know the uh, the lichens, yeah, 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 yeah. the movie lichen, and yeah, it's another word for wolfman. That's where wolfmen were from. That's why we call them lichens. Okay, so there's a squiggle for your brain, just in case you don't read the Acts commentary. And seeing how you thought that was so cool, maybe you should read the Acts commentary because there's all kinds of great stuff like that in there. Anybody named just, Jack or John? Uh, uh, no, Jack or Johns. No, Jack Palance and uh, yeah, what's wolfman the uh, Jack. wolfman Jack? There you go. Okay. Um, just a little squiggle for your brain. We'll go on now. We're in uh, door terminology. Um, this was Paul's great desire. I read that. Um, he was hoping that it would again be possible to uh, evangelize, not just in letters, but in person. Therefore, a door for the word is probably, Paul's words, a door for the word is probably initially 
a reference to being released from prison at this time. With such a release, along with the Lord leading the way in new evangelism, he would then be able to speak, as he says his words, the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ is everything involved in the gospel that brings salvation to mankind. A mystery in the Bible is something that cannot be deduced without a specific explanation. That doesn't mean it's something that it's, uh, you know, only certain people can get. It is something that can be gotten, but it must be gotten by being told about it. You can never deduce certain things about what God is doing in redemptive history unless he specifically reveals them to you, okay? That is what a mystery is. It's not some big thing that people like to, uh, you know, make all kinds of crazy videos about. It is simply something that is unknown that can only be known if revealed by God, and the mysteries are then revealed by God, sometimes through Paul, sometimes other ways, but this is something that God will let us know, and then we can say, oh, I see, this was what God was doing all along, but now it's been revealed, okay? Um, for each person who has never heard about the work of Christ, there's no way for them to be reconciled to God. Therefore, it's a mystery. If somebody is in Papua New Guinea, and nobody goes up to him and tells him about Jesus, they will never be saved. Got that? That is a mystery. There's no way they could ever deduce that there is a person named Jesus who died for the sins of the world without being told that, okay? It's another reason for not believing people that claim to have visions and dreams, okay? It is not something that is to be expected, and it is not something that is in accord with Scripture. Just a couple days ago, I got a... a you know, I get a lot of, you know, uh, emails from people about news articles. And one of them was, people in Iran are having dreams all over the place about Jesus and coming to faith in Jesus. And I went back to him and I said, I don't believe it. I will never believe it because that is not what the Bible teaches. It is contrary to the Word of God. Okay, not only is it contrary to the Word of God uh, directly, but it's also implied when it says that Christ is going to come and the word that is used, he will be manifest at a certain time. It means he's not going to be manifest before that certain time. He is not going to pop into people's heads and say, you need me to save you. And if you don't believe, you're going to go to hell. That is not going to happen. I know people love to cling to that type of stuff, but it is not realistic. It is uh, unbiblical at best, and it may be anti-biblical. It's just something that, uh, so when that guy sent me that email, I sent it a response and I said just so you know this is not biblical I don't care what the video says I'm not going to waste my time watching it because I've heard that hundreds and hundreds of times people claiming if that was true there's no need for anybody to go out and evangelize because Jesus is good yeah, gonna just do it for us kind of like well, yeah predestination yeah it's, it's kind of like, like predestination but for... with a little twist in there yeah, a little yeah, yeah. A sensational twist yeah. if you disagree with me you are entitled to be wrong I have no problem with that at all that is your choice but the Bible does not teach that, ever, okay? I don't care what anybody says. People lie all the time about all kinds of things, even sincere people. They have something in their head, and they say it, and it's not true, but they've convinced themselves that it is, okay? That's not going to happen, folks. Jesus is not going to pop into somebody's dream and tell them, you need me to be saved, okay? The mysteries are in the Bible. The Bible is revealed through the apostles. The Word of God is now written, Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And it's not going to come any other way. The apostolic age is ended, okay? 
whatever. Believe what you want. That's fine. But I just, if you send me those videos, I'm just going to come back with the same response I gave him. <laughs> You're wrong. Okay. It's not going to happen that way. Um, Paul desired that he would be able to share this mystery so that salvation could come to whoever heard it and received it. But in his sharing it in the past, there were unfortunate consequences. He notes that it was because of speaking the mystery of Christ that he was also in chains. His imprisonment was brought about because of his desire to speak about Christ. And yet he wanted to get right back out there and start speaking once again. If it meant future imprisonment, that was of no matter. He would speak until he could speak no more. It was for this ability to get out and to share the word that he requested prayers. Paul wanted to just tell people about Jesus, okay? He was given grace, that grace is unmerited favor. He did not merit Jesus coming to him and saying, you know, I'm calling you out of your darkness and I'm uh, appointing you to be an apostle. And well, once again, Paul even writes this. He says, I could have been disobedient. I What he did say, he didn't say it in the negative. He said in the positive, I was not disobedient to the call, basically, okay? He, uh, he could have been, he wasn't. He responded to the Lord. You'd be kind of foolish to not to when he blinds you for three right. days and then somebody comes and says, I'm healing you. And, uh, you know, to you'd be kind of a dummy. But at the same time, he could have. He could have been disobedient or he could have said, you know what? I'm not going out on this missionary trip. And the spirit is calling us and, uh, uh, you know, I'm just not going to do that. Or I'm not going to go on the second mission trip or I'm not going to. He could have done any of those things, and he didn't. He was constantly looking to evangelize. He was constantly looking to tell people about the Lord. And that was his main goal in life, was to get the message of the gospel into people's ears so that they could make the voluntary choice of being saved. Question. Going back to dreams for a second, what was the dream that Paul had about uh, Macedonia? Somebody... Uh, yes, a man from Macedonia said, come over here. Did he okay. ever go there? Uh, yeah, they did. Okay. As a matter of fact, they they didn't go into Asia, and they went to Macedonia, and that's where Macedonia is where the uh, Thessalonians are. Right, and right. The, hmm. Yeah, so right. anyway, he, they, they were obedient to that. They went, and uh, we're not, I think that's probably about 16, or I don't know, somewhere in... Uh, we're not there yet next, no, but um, yeah, that is coming. And Paul was an apostle. He was given directions. He was given instructions. And you know what? We may have a, a an impulse in our lives. I just feel the Lord is telling me to do this, okay? And that's fine. I've had those many times in my life where I've... And then when I didn't do them, I always felt bad. And I found some reason why I was wrong in not doing the thing that I just felt like I should do, Okay. And that's fine. The Lord is going to impress things on our heart, but he's not going to come into our ear and say, okay, Charlie, I want you to do this and I want you to, and now you're going to do this. Or, you know, to an unsaved person, he's not going to go and show up in their heads and say, you need Jesus. I, I, sorry, I don't believe that. If, if the Lord does that, he will have to do it to me personally before I change my mind. And I see no reason why he would want to do that. There's no, no benefit for it, but whatever. Um, life application. How many people have you shared the message of Jesus with lately? Think of that guy over in Pakistan who keeps telling people about mm -hmm. Jesus. He keeps showing this video and people keep coming to Christ there. And you know, eventually they're going to have a division in this town. If he has enough people, they're going to be like, sure. you know, but that's just the way of the world. Um, uh, people are dying. People are being eternally separated from God because of a failure to communicate. 
And once again, if that's true, and it is, then why isn't God popping into everybody's head? Right. Why is he picking out certain people that it can't be proven over here? It's just somebody said this and somebody, it, it, none of it is reasonable. None of it is rational. None of it is logical. And God is rational. He is reasonable. And he is the God of logic. So whatever. Um, could be uh, could be said to take the pressure off of somebody who is actually telling. Yeah, well, absolutely. In, in that country, I mean, they're as good as not they're going to kill him. Sure. They don't. So. Yeah, absolutely. Are you uh, part of this failed system, meaning the failure to communicate, or are you opening your mouth and speaking? The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Simple gospel instructions. Meet person, open mouth, speak. That's it. That's the gospel instructions. Meet a person, open your mouth, and speak. If you can't do that, there is a problem with you, not with the gospel, okay? The gospel will have its intended effect on everybody that receives it. Uh, they may turn it down, they may accept it, but it will have its intended effect, just like the word of God in general will. It will always come back as the Lord says, my word will not return to me void. Whatever the purpose is for the word to be given to somebody, it will meet its purpose. If it's to further condemn them, because, you know, God has lavished them with wealth and abundance and they reject the, the gospel, then that is a witness against them. If it is to save them and to bring them to a place of, uh, you know, humility before him and bringing other people to Christ through their stepping down from their high and exalted position, then that is the purpose. God always has a purpose. We may not know it, but it will come about exactly as he has planned if we communicate the word. Okay, um, uh, you know, somebody asked me, We not really asked me, we talked about it uh, this past weekend, talking about sharing the gospel, is that, um, uh, for example, we go into the projects, and somebody, you give somebody the gospel, and they say, well, I believe that, okay, and their life doesn't really reflect it, okay, their life doesn't, you're talking to this person, you've seen them for week after week, or you work with them, and their life doesn't really reflect it. You've told them the gospel. They said, oh, I believe that already. Okay. And the question was, what do I do with that? And the answer is you can't do anything with it. You can't force holiness on a person. Okay. If they say they are saved, then you have to take them at face value because the Bible doesn't give different options of salvation. It's either you believe the word and you're saved or you don't believe the word and you're not saved. Okay. So we can't do anything beyond that point except to live our lives as we should be living so that they see that that is how a saved person is to live. If they're really saved, then they should feel convicted by your life. If they're not really saved, then they should say, I want what they have. But when somebody says they're saved, it doesn't matter how they're living because there are a lot of saved people that are not living properly for the Lord. But uh, you, you can't force anything further on a person. You can't say, well, you know, I know you're not saved because, right? And so that was the conversation that we had, and uh, that's where I feel that uh, the Bible stands on that. Uh, and that goes back to a commentary that I typed, and maybe I mentioned this last week, or maybe I mentioned it during the conversation, but um, I typed it uh, a couple weeks ago from chapter 13, and it says that these people believed, okay? That's what Luke wrote in the book of Acts, the people believed. And all of the commentators that I read said, well, this wasn't really a conversion. Okay, blah, 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 blah. 
And you know what? You go to the word pistuo and you go through all of the, the examples of it in the New Testament, and it's the same word in John 3, 16. It's the same word that Paul uses in his gospel presentations. Believe, believe, believe. So who is this commentator to say that that word believe doesn't mean exactly what Luke is trying to convey? They believed. But this is what this one verse, for some reason, I can't remember it right offhand, that is not their choice to say those per people did not believe unto salvation. It says they believed, you have to take it at face value. And then from there, like I said, you live at your life properly in the presence of the Lord. You will be the example for those people to see and hopefully to emulate. But you can't force salvation on people and you also can't force, if they're saved, holiness on them. You can only be an example from that point on, teaching them, living in front of them in that way. But uh, if somebody says, well, this is how it is with me, you know, in essence, you're just saying, well, you're a yeah. liar, you know, and that's not your place to do it. But here's the okay. thing, too. It's like, you know, um, what we do at the, the projects is really the way it should be done. It's like, granted, we might not bring everyone to a Bible study like this, but at least we, we, we tell the gospel. They say they believe it, and then we don't go away. We just We're basically... there every week, and that's exactly the thing that was going on in my mind. We're there every week to show them that we're not just saying these things, but mm -hmm. this is what we believe, mm -hmm. and this is something that we are following through with now for 17 years right. because we really believe it. And, you know, there are times where you, uh, Paul and uh, uh, Barnabas in uh, chapter 14, Preach the gospel. It says they went out and they preached the gospel. It doesn't say how they did it. They could have done it at the uh, local river or they could have gone into the street square and done it. It doesn't say what. It just says they preached the gospel. Okay, we don't specifically do that in the projects. We share the gospel, but we don't stand up and just start saying, hey, come and listen to us. That is not the place to do that kind of thing. It's You would not get any positive feedback by doing that you'd have people ignoring you more because that's the type of environment that we're living in. And some people have come with us and they found offense at us not standing up and preaching the gospel. You know exactly what I'm saying. We've had people say, well, you're not doing this right. And Tom's answer to them is the same thing he says every, every time you hear somebody say something like that. I've been doing this now for 15. I've been doing this now for 16. I've been doing this now for 17 years. I know it works and I know what does not work. And to stand up in the middle of the projects and start preaching the gospel, all you're going to do is drive people away, okay? You're not going to have success there because it's not the forum for that. Every forum has a proper way of demonstrate or uh, of uh, you demonstrating whatever you're trying to sell. And, you know, if you want to sell uh, uh, Tupperware, you're not going to go up... Uh, uh, well, a better example would be if you want to sell ice, you're not going to go up to Alaska and try to sell ice, okay? If you want to sell sand, you're not going to start a sand store in Saudi Arabia, okay? Every Everything has to have the proper forum in order for things to come about the way that you intend. And the way that we do it in the projects is something that has been developed after many years of dealing with this group of people that are going through poverty they're going through being uh, held down literally by the government while the government is telling them that it is not the government that's holding them down or it's a portion of the government that's holding them down which is actually trying to get them out of that situation everything is twisted up and on its head in the projects and what they need is to be 
guided in Jesus. They don't need all of the other baggage that we have in our own lives out here. It's a completely different situation, and they need first and foremost to have people to emulate in the gospel. And then from there, if they want to get out of the projects, we can give them instruction on that. It's very rare for somebody to ask it, but sometimes people will actually move out of the projects. Anyway, uh, it's just one That's of those things. That... I, I do think the street evangelizing is good. No, it's but great. It's like, it's like, okay, here, here's the Tupperware, and not showing you how to use it. Right. So, like, it's it, it's... It'll get you yeah. over, but you got to... Like, That's right. But what I'm saying is street evangelism is not effective in the project. I agree. It's effective it in some places. If you want to go out and like outside of the Super Bowl, hey, you got people walking around back and forth and back and forth, and you stand up and start proclaiming the gospel, people will stop and they will listen. That's a great forum for preaching the gospel. The projects is not no. a great forum. That's what I'm saying is that there is there is a proper forum for everything. And what we do and where we do it is not the place to go out and, and I won't say act cocky, but it's not the place to go out and be uh, verbose in any way, shape, or form. You have to be very, very caring with these people. Anyway, 4-4. Um, four, four. Pray that I may, may proclaim it clearly as I should, which I did not do right then. But anyhow, you That's guys, okay. let me start again. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Okay, this one, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Okay, same thought, little different worded. Okay, very short comment on this verse. 4-4. Four, four. Paul has asked for prayers for himself and those who were his fellow workers. And then, to explain that further, he said they were to open a door for him to speak the mystery of Christ. He then noted that it was for this reason that he was in chains. Going back to the request for prayer now that he started with, he says that it is his desire that he might make manifest as I ought to speak. The word it is speaking of the mystery of Christ, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. So we'll insert that there, that I may make the mystery of Christ manifest. Okay, that's what he's talking about. He's already in chains, and so he is asking that an effective door be opened to him to speak this mystery even while in chains, and possibly even so that he can be out of chains so he can speak it elsewhere. It is not to discount prayers for release, which would open a door, but whether in chains or whether free, he is praying for opportunities to speak the words which would make the mystery of Christ manifest to those he would meet. His words show that he cared less about being in chains than he did about getting the message of salvation out to the people he encountered. His desire was first and foremost for an effective door to be opened to him in order to speak. It is a mark of the true inward burning evangelist. That's what impelled him. That's what got him going, was to be able to go out and tell people about Jesus. And for years, that was all that I wanted to do. I'd go to the beach and I'd have my sign out and I would just, I w was so excited telling people about Jesus. And I did that at work. And anytime I walked into a store, I told them about Jesus. Now I still do that. Okay. But my main focus in my life now is less that than it is to disciple people in the word, to share the word, to preach the word, to have Bible studies, to edify people through emails, explaining things to them about the word. 
It's a, a change in me because you can only do so much in life. I still love to tell people about Jesus. And there are times where I get convicted and I say, you know, I, I need to go talk to that person today. And that's what I do. Okay. But the main thing for me now is to just see people develop in the word of God. I know there are people out there telling about Jesus. I know that people are coming to Christ through listening to, uh, uh, you know, Christian radio or something. There are a million ways that are, people are being evangelized. But once they're evangelized, there's not a lot of sound scriptural uh, instruction out there. Now, I'm not saying that the Superior Word has any exclusivity on it. There are lots of good churches with a lot of good teachers. But comparison to the amount of churches out there, there are not a lot. Okay, so uh, it, 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 we're one of many, but we're many, which are a few out of even more many, is, I guess is the way we should say it. There's only a certain number of churches that really go out and teach the word properly. Okay, uh, and there's, you know, once again, there it's good to have churches, they call them secret churches or whatever, but I mean, you can't spend the next 50 years of your life in a secret church and develop. It's not going to happen. They're in there, you know, giving them these these basic sermons and, you know, you need Jesus. And well, that's great. But if you're not growing in the word, you're stagnating, 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 stagnating. Thank you. Come on, you're in um, water treatment. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm water treatment. I That's the one job that I would go back to. You know, I wouldn't do it here in Florida because it's all taken over by the government and I don't want to ever work for the government again. But I really love the wastewater job. I, I loved it. It was very nice. And uh you know, you uh, other than seeing your boss once in a while, you didn't have, you're interacting with water. It was kind of nice. You didn't have a lot of, uh, uh, you know, it was just, back. yeah, it was just a very nice job. Biology, chemistry, mathematics, you know, it, what a great job. But it doesn't compare even a thousandth to preaching, not even a thousandth. Anyway, um, Paul had this great inward burning as an evangelist, and he, that was his thing and he never got over it but he was also very good about instruction he took the time when he wasn't with somebody to write to those people now i you know we don't know but he went to all these churches right and he wrote letters to the thessalonians he wrote letters to the corinthians i will bet i don't know this but i will bet that he wrote letters to the people at lystra in Derby. Sure. i'll bet you he yeah exactly they're not canon because the lord said those do not fit with what i'm looking to put into my word he took the specific letters that were specifically inspired by him through paul and those are in the bible nothing is missing from the word that god intended to have in the word but i will bet you knowing the type of person that paul was he didn't just write the letters that are in this book the bible he wrote letters to each of the churches, and or he wrote an encyclical, and he would add in a comment that's not included in the Bible. Please make sure that this gets sent over to Lystra after it's read at Derby or whatever. I would bet that's the case because he was very, very uh, uh, intent on seeing the development of the people in those churches. And he had a way of identifying what was wrong in that particular church, like Galatia, and then he would write them a letter about that particular issue. Galatia happens to be something that is on the Lord's mind. It got put into the Word of God, and it is a part of the canon of Scripture because it's that important, and it is he inspired Paul to write that. But my guess is that Paul wrote many, many letters over the years, and those people probably were just so appreciative of him doing that, following up 
You know, here's this guy, he came and told us about Jesus, and he got drummed out of town, and we never saw him again. Okay, but he wrote us letters. I'll bet you. Anyway, just speculations, not in the word, but this, the kind of guy he was, I would speculate that's correct. Life application. Do you encounter people and think, I need to tell this person about Jesus? Or do you just look for a normal social interaction and then move on? If you aren't hoping to share Christ, it would be good for you to pray about your attitude and to embolden yourself to open your mouth and speak. Whose job is it to tell others about Jesus? The answer is each one of us. It is our job. That is what we are to do. We are to hopefully take the time and share the word about Jesus. You know, um, uh, I don't know. It just, it, it, if you're not willing to do that, it's kind of a mark on your attitude about what the Lord has done for you in your life. Just get out there and tell people about what he did in your life, and you'll have an effect on their lives. I'm certain of it. Okay. Anyway, um, we're in 4-5. Uh-huh. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Okay. This one says, walk in wisdom. A walk is the conduct of one's life. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Okay, a little different on that one. Anyway, um, walking in wisdom. Oh, these words here are similar to Ephesians 5, 15, and 16. So we'll go there very quickly. I'm losing my papers. I'm just about to lose everything. So. I can say one thing. In yes. The last verse, I had underlined here, I should. And you made a point at some other book we were at. came to that verse and said, Greek is much stronger than I should. It's my must. I must. Okay, that I don't know. I'd have to pull out the Greek and check it out. But interesting. 5, 15, and 16 from Ephesians. Oh, yeah. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. And here he said, uh, well, I, I don't have it in front of me. Anyway, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So you can see how closely it matches the letter to the Ephesians. And I don't know if he had the letter to the Ephesians there and he was copying the thoughts you know, basically, or if he just was very consistent in his way of approaching these things. Either way, it is very similar to Ephesians 5, 15, and 16. Okay, in exhorting believers to walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, he is saying that we are to act in a manner which is above reproach. Everything we do is to be done fairly, with integrity of heart, and with the goal of being the finest example of emulation that those around us can find. In acting in this way, we're more likely to win them over to Christ. We should obviously act this way among believers, but Paul instructs that we should act this way at all times. If we deal with if we deal one way with believers and another with unbelievers, it would all by itself demonstrate a lack of integrity that would certainly not be worthy of emulation. Who would want to follow the path of a hypocrite, unless they too are already hypocrites? And what Christian wants to be surrounded by a bunch of hypocrites? Okay, so this is Paul's logic. It's obviously correct, and uh, so we just need to not be hypocrites when we're uh, dealing with people, interacting with other people. The title of Christian, Christ, you know, follower, whatever, the title of Christian should be carried by people who are wise, honest, and and filled with integrity. Uh, Last Sunday during the weekly report, I gave a report on the Congress 
of the United States. Okay, this is kind of a name only, obviously, but this is one of the highest uh, uh, group of con Congress people that claim to be Christians of any and many years, like 88% of them claim to be Christians. Now, obviously, we're going to read this again. The title of Christian should be carried by people who are wise. Well, that would exclude probably 72% of that 88%. Honest, that would exclude probably another 5 to 7% of them. And filled with integrity. Okay, you're down to about three real Christians or, or uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? Practicing Christians by this point. Because most of Congress is just filled with people that are unwise. They are dishonest and they are not filled with integrity. Okay, so we need to remember that just because somebody says, I'm a Christian, it doesn't mean that they are acting in a manner that is Christ-like. Okay, but if we are honest, wise, and filled with integrity, in that capacity, walking in this way toward those who are outside will be, as Paul says, redeeming the time. That is what redeeming the time is, is living properly in the way that the Bible would ask us to live, the way that uh, we are following Christ. We are living as Christ would want us. We are redeeming the time. If not, we are not redeeming the time. The word redeeming comes from the Greek word ex, exagorazo. It is a combination of two other words, ek, which comes from out or out from, okay? And then this intensifies the word agorazo, which means to buy up at the marketplace. In this then, it indicates to take Full advantage of seizing a buying opportunity, for example, the most uh, most of the present opportunity, recognizing its future gain. Okay, so if you are at the marketplace and you see something that will benefit you, you seize the opportunity because it will bring you future gain. And that is what Paul is saying. We're to have that attitude in our own lives. Okay, in the few hours that we have each day, in the short number of days we have each week, and in the quickly fading weeks, months, and years of our lives, we need to take advantage of the time that we have been given, pursuing the greater and weightier matters that have eternal significance. This is what we should be focusing our lives on. There's a lot of nonsense that we do in life. Hideko and I don't spend a lot of time in front of the TV, but we do watch TV while we're eating. Okay, so we have a little bit there, and once in a while we'll watch a little extra. But for the most part, we try to redeem our time. She's taking care of the dogs, and I'm taking care of the church matters on the computer. I was making a joke. She, she does more than take care of the dogs, but she loves to take care of the dogs. Anyway, um, that is what we try. Hey, how you doing there? Good. Thank you. Your son is here. Would you like to say hi to your son? There you go. We love you. Love you. All right. Have a great evening. Say hi to Faith, please. All right. Okay, so uh, we have these few number of hours each day. We have a few number of days each week. We don't have a lot of time. And if you think of it, um, our lives are comprised of, if you add it up, it take the number of years that you expect to live and multiply that times 375, it's actually not a lot of, of days total, okay? It, our, our days go very, very quickly, and then they're done. We have a certain amount of time that we need to do things, and if we're not doing those things, then we are not redeeming the time, okay? So uh, you got to have your priorities. you got to figure what is the most important thing in my life, and then you just have to go with it, whatever that thing is. Um, uh, it, it, I was ordained on 24 January of 2010. 
So it was 13 years ago, a couple days ago. What is it, 26 today or something? Anyway, 26. so I look at all the time I've wasted even since then. And I just need to spend my time focused on the fact that I was ordained and that I'm preaching and that I'm doing sermons. And I, I, that that is what I need to do. Okay, we've only got... So, and I can't believe that was 13 years ago. It, it seems, seems like... Yeah. Like yesterday and it also seems like a century ago well yeah in, in two ways it, it does seem like a long time in some ways and it seems like it was just yesterday and others okay but we've only got so much time to get things done and then we will be done so um in the few i've read that instead of whining about what is bad we should praise for what is good instead of moaning about our situation we should be in prayer for the needs of others and for the glory of god Instead of reading novels which satisfy our minds for a moment, we should read and study God's Word, which will enrich our souls for eternity. Now, there's nothing wrong with reading novels. I don't, I don't mean to say that, that that's something you shouldn't be doing. But if you're reading novels at the exclusion of reading the Bible, then there's a problem in your life. Okay? Um, I, I used to read, I may have told you this, I don't know, I used to read Edgar Allan Poe. Everything that he wrote, every single year, I'd pick it up and I'd read the entire body of works by Edgar Allan Poe. And since I met the Lord, I haven't read Poe once. I did read The Raven recently, um, just because I, I kind of have it memorized, but I'm forgetting some of the uh, stanzas. And it's a really long poem. Poor Thor, you know, when he was in uh, Christian uh, school growing up, and the teacher said, you have to memorize a poem by a famous person, and um, uh, you have to present it to the class. And Thor came home and he said, what poem should I do? I said, it's not what poem you should do. This is the poem you are going to do. And he had to memorize. That thing is like this long. It was it was huge. He, any help. <laughs> he memorized that whole poem. Wow, he did so it. Cool. So, yeah. Anyway, what's that? Punishment. It wasn't punishment. He learned it. It, it molds your mind. I mean, if you can, uh, you know, it just was good for him. Well, anyway. I had no idea you were a Ravens fan. Uh, no, not the Baltimore Ravens. I'm sorry. That will never happen. But um, anyway, uh, talking about football, I got something about football in this coming week sermon. There we go. Yeah, there you go. Okay, um, let's see here. Baseball uh, bat? No, baseball bat no, the, in the football, football game. Football bat. Yeah, right. football bat. That's right. Rather, football bat. Um, rather than telling others about the latest sports statistics, we should tell others about the great deeds of the Lord and the love of God found in Christ Jesus. These are the type of things we should pursue in order to redeem the time. Once again, though, it's not, I'm never going to complain about somebody going to a sports game or watching a game on TV. That's what they want to do, and that's what they enjoy, and that's what they do with their time off. That's fine. But if you are doing that only, and you're not telling people about Jesus, then there is a problem with your priorities. Okay, so when I'm saying these things, I'm not trying to say you shouldn't do those things. You know, there are a lot of legalistic churches out there that say you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that. And it's not in scripture. You know, that's unscriptural to say that people shouldn't go out and enjoy their lives. Okay, but if you're enjoying your life at the expense of telling people about Jesus or reading the word of God, your priorities are not properly balanced. Okay. I hate to say this, but you know what I can't do? What? I cannot listen to the, the Bible. Oh. I can't listen to it. Like uh, you've been through it like ever like ninety times now. It's I like, love it. And I just like, like I, I, what did he say? And I got to back it up. And... Oh, I I do too. I mean, I'm driving and I, my mind is all over, and I've got to watch for traffic, and so I'm not getting it. But it's there. It's mm -hmm. being put into yeah, my yeah. head. 
And so I would rather have that than just background music. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it just, that's my thing. And once in a while, I'll turn on music. I mean, I'm not opposed to that, but I just, I would rather have the word going because it's filling my mind with what God wants my mind filled with. So anyway, but I agree. You, you miss a lot. You miss a lot because... I'm glad you said that because now I'm like, okay, so I, I'll still listen to it, even though, yeah. you know, it just traveled through and nothing. It was travels through, and a, a lot of times you miss it. Yep, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Nope, that's I exactly right. It's just my thought is I'd rather miss a lot of that than miss a lot of, you know, really the not. music I used to listen to in high school. Anyway, um, in such ways and in relation to those who are non-believers, we will be using our time in a manner which is properly directed toward their eyes and their hearts. We will be bringing them closer to, not pushing them away from, a relationship with Christ. Okay? Life application. See, we've done like five verses today. We're just burning them up. Uh, Those around us are watching. Many are perverse and will never come to Christ. Instead, they are enemies of soundness and right reason. But there are those who are evaluating the word around them, searching for answers to life's difficult questions. If they see us filled with joy, contentment, and peace, they will want that. If we act in this manner toward them, they will want it even more. Such should be the conduct of our walk. And I will go so far as to say the first category, the perverse that will never come to Christ, there are some that are perverse that they know that we have a life that is sound. They know that we have a life that is filled with joy. They don't want any part of it. That's fine. But they may end up in a hospital someday. And if they're in the hospital and we go and visit them, they may say, what is it that made you happy all the time? Why are you happy? And that may be the thing that converts them. Even though they're perverse people and they never wanted anything to do with Jesus, there may be a circumstance that arises in their lives that will bring them to wanting to know about Jesus. So we shouldn't discount or cut off anybody until the final day okay there are some people that i think are just so depraved they will never come to christ but i'm not going to cut them off from hoping that they will prove me wrong okay mm-hmm. you just never know anyway hang on let me get my thing so we can get on the same page together and we're in four six now yes let your conversation be always full of grace seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. Okay, that's really close. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Okay, much closer than the last two verses. Sure. Okay, so uh, salt. What is salt? What does that represent in the Bible? Um, it's a preservative. Incorruptibility. That's true. Yeah. And so incorruptibility, uh, when, uh, what did uh, the Lord say? The salt of the covenant should never be lacking from your sacrifices. Okay, salt is the one thing that is in these Old Testament sacrifices. It says add in salt. It never tells you how much. Right. Uh-huh. It, it's the one thing you, you know, you are to offer this at this time. You're to offer this much of it, this much meal, this much, you know, oil, whatever. Salt is never limited in how much you can put in it. It's totally up to you, okay? It's uh, incorruptibility. It's the incorruptible nature of Christ. It's the incorruptible nature of God's covenant. God covenants with us, and that will never be taken away, okay? People say you can lose your salvation. They're not thinking through the symbolism that God has inserted into his word, okay? 
would God, you know, cut off Jesus forever? No, the symbolism itself tells you that. And we obviously know he wouldn't, but we can look at the symbolism in the Bible and we can say, oh, I get this. But people aren't willing to look into the symbolism that the Bible offers in the Old Testament to understand concepts in the New. People that don't appreciate and believe the doctrine of eternal salvation are missing what God is trying to tell them. They're missing it in so many ways, and it's very heartbreaking. And now, that's not to say that you won't struggle with eternal salvation. You know, I've done something wrong. How could God love me? You know, I understand that as well. But that's not, our struggles do not change what God has said, and it does not change who God is. So uh, salt is a good example of that. I don't know if I'm going to talk about that in here, so that's why I brought it up now. Um, Paul continues to give exhortations for sound Christian living. In the previous verse, he noted appropriate conduct or walk. Your conduct is your walk of life, okay? Now he moves to appropriate speech by saying, let your speech always be with grace. The Greek literally reads in grace. It is the element in which speech is to be saturated our speech should be happy, it should be sincere, filled with humility, and so on. It should pour forth from the pitcher of grace like sap pours forth sweet syrup from the tree. Okay, this is how we should think of our, our speech. It should always be something that is in grace. And, you know, people have a tough day and you don't want to beat them up over it. Hedico and I got in a little tiff last night after dinner and I my speech was not nice and I, it just, it wasn't. And so I have to think, you know, how do I correct that? How do I be nice to her? And, you know, so I, I said, come on, let's watch this thing together. And she wouldn't come and sit with me because she was miffed at me. And I don't blame her. Okay. Have but, you asked for forgiveness? Uh, well, this morning, no, I don't need to because there's no need to ask forgiveness when we make up between each other in the morning and she knows that everything is fine. And so, you know, but uh, we just, there was this little thing that happened out in the uh, driveway when we were coming in the house and I got miffed at her and she got miffed at me. And so we were miffed at each other. I, you know, asking for forgiveness over something that is understood forgiven is superfluous. I'm not going to do that. There are times where I'll say, I am sorry. And she'll, you know, okay, but it wasn't one of those type of things last night. It was just one of those things where we had a disagreement and, and, uh, but we need to have our speech filled in grace. Okay. The element of speech in which it is to be saturated. Our speech, oh, I said that, should be happy, sincere, filled with humility, and so forth. Okay, Paul then says that our speech should also be, here it is, seasoned with salt. The use of salt goes back to the Old Testament offerings. Let me see if I can find this really quickly. Leviticus chapter 2, whoops, that's okay. Leviticus chapter, I'll get it, don't worry. Um, Leviticus chapter 2, all right, and then we're going to go to, come on, Charlie, two more pages, one more page maybe. Leviticus chapter 2 and verse 13. And every offering of your grain offering you shall season with salt. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings you shall offer salt. Okay, there it is. It doesn't say how much it is. It doesn't. Yeah, it's just totally up to you what you put in there. But it is a 
picture. It is typologically a picture of the incorruptible nature of the covenant. I and, get that from No, me. I got it. It's, um, and it uh, goes both ways. It is acknowledging that God's covenant is incorruptible towards us, and we are supposed to act in an incorruptible nature towards God. Mm -hmm. But the salt itself is a picture of Christ. It is a picture of his incorruptibility and of his immutable nature in the giving of the new covenant. Okay, that is what we are supposed to derive from the picture of salt. And what is it called? Is it called the Dead Sea in the Bible? Salt Sea. It's called the Salt Sea. It's a picture of Christ going down, you know, into the uh, the Jordan River. He is the descender, Hayarden. He's the descender. All of the Jordan, everything about it pictures Christ, his life. What he did, it was cut off. He was cut off, and the waters continued down to the Salt Sea, the incorruptible nature of Christ in his death. And then what happens? The Salt Sea doesn't go any further. It just stays right there, and it evaporates. Just as he ascended, he rose again, he ascended back to heaven, okay? So um, it's all a picture of Christ. The salt in that offering is to picture Christ as well, okay? The immutable nature of it. Okay, uh, salt has exactly the opposite effect of leaven or honey in the Bible. These were forbidden to be in almost all offerings because they signify sin and corruption. Salt, on the other hand, produces and signifies incorruption. It strengthens the food in which it is and also preserves it. Uh, it was um, uh, C.S. Lewis, one of his commentaries came up uh, on YouTube a couple months ago, and when it did, I clicked on it, I was listening to it, and he said, anybody, if you offered somebody that never tasted salt before, if you offered them salt and said, here, taste this, they would say, what a terrible thing, what an absolutely, who would do that, that, that who would eat something like that, and he says, the salt isn't there to be eaten by itself, it's there to enhance what you are eating, he says, it brings out the flavor in a way that did not exist before the salt was put into there. It was a brilliant deduction he made, and then he tied it into the life of Christ in our lives, okay? So, it strengthens the food in which it is. If you put too much in it, we'll ruin it, obviously, but if you put in the right amount of salt, it actually brings out the flavor, and it also preserves it. Thus, it is a sign of faithfulness and covenant-keeping. It goes so far as to indicate the perpetual nature of a covenant. It will never be broken as long as it is in force. People need to understand this salt symbolism, and if they do, they would not question the doctrine of eternal salvation. But they have failed to do the study on the Old Testament, the typology that is given there, and they walk about in their lives miserable because their preacher or teacher tells them, yeah, you can lose your salvation. Jesus refers to the use of salt in Mark chapter 9. Let me take you there. It says that's Luke, Mark. We've got again between Luke and Matthew now. All right. And then we got Matthew, Mark chapter 9. And then in verses 49 and 50, he says, For everyone will be seasoned with fire, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. The inclusion of salt in the Old Testament offerings pictures Christ's incorruption. He, having never sinned before God, it represents his covenant-keeping nature. 
and even as one who will never break the covenant he makes. Paul would have us emulate Christ in our speech, using words of strengthening, incorruption, and preservation of all that is good. Salt. His words in this verse are given as if directing a meal of delicious conduct concerning our speech. And this is so, as Paul says, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Each person that one encounters is an individual. We cannot gear our speech to just one approach, but it needs to be modified for the sake of the one we are talking to. But in that speech, we are to draw from the well of grace and add in the seasoning of salt at times. We are to be able to give a reason for the hope we possess. We are to do it in meekness and fear, and we are to be courteous and sincere as we utter forth our words. This is what Paul is conveying to us in just a couple of words. He has so much intent behind it because of the Old Testament symbolism. Life application, we're going to stop with this one because we don't have enough time to go to another one. Life application, how easy it is to let our words slip into that which is profane and even harmful. But we are admonished to not allow this to happen. If what we say is drawn from a nurturing well of grace and then seasoned with salt, it will be helpful not harmful. It will be soothing and able to build up others instead of tearing them down. Let us strive to meet this goal at all times so that Christ will be exalted by our words. Okay, this is what Paul would ask of us. This is because Paul is inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these things. This is what God would ask of us. He would ask us to live lives in this manner, bringing glory to him in these ways. Okay, um, as far as the word itself, I just would hope that everybody that listens to this study today would take the time to go home and read their word every single day, to read it in the morning, to read it in the evening, to think about it during the day, and to make it a priority in their life. Because without the word, you have no grounding in who Jesus Christ is. He is the one that came to redeem us for our sins. He is the Lord God incarnate. And we can't know him unless we get into the word. So I would ask you to please read the word, study the word, listen to sermons on the words. If there are good biblical commentaries out there, read them as well. The more time you put in the word, the better off your life is going to be. I'm absolutely certain of that. Okay, we all have trials. We all have troubles. We all have difficulties that we face. And if we're facing them without being grounded in the word, the only ones that are going to suffer through it are us. If we understand our relationship and grow in it every day with Jesus through the word, we will be far better off in the end. So this is what I would ask of you today. Please do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this precious word. We thank you for what it tells us. We thank you for how it teaches us and instructs us. And it also gives us things in typology and in symbolism so that we can understand the greater truths that are being conveyed to us. Something as simple as salt is a clear indication to us of the eternal nature of the covenant that is made between Christ and his people. And our salvation is secure. We are on the road to heaven if we simply believe the simple gospel by faith. We thank you for that assurance. We thank you for the simplicity of it. Even as difficult as it is for us to hand ourselves over to the Lord and say, I am putting my eternal soul in your hands. Once it happens, it becomes the most wonderful thing that could ever happen to us. So thank you for it. 
Thank you for allowing us the opportunity to hear the message and then to accept it. And help us, Lord, to be responsible and tell it to others as well. May it be so to your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Okay, let me back this up. I can't back, you know, I, apparently I've heard that when, when we say goodbye to people, um, we wave goodbye, they can't hear, and I don't know how to fix that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say goodbye, have a wonderful evening, we love you, and take good care, okay? Bye-bye. All right, I don't know if you could see me. I wonder if they could see me. They might not have, but that's okay. We're going to turn that off. Yeah, and we're going to turn that off. Okay, record, record, record. Okay, that's done. Okay, that's done. This goes over here. Yeah, I uh, I meant to tell Sergio on Sunday, don't forget to change that microphone back. And then I forgot. And I said to myself, if I don't tell him, it's going to be messed up on Thursday. And so, oh, whatever. Yeah, I forget, the reason why we did it was because of the organ? Uh, yeah, the organ. And so, because if not, then nobody can hear the organ. Right. So, well, I'm happy if people are saying, like, to... Uh...